Hi, everyone. Good morning. So as you guys know, uh, this is Scott and Ashley's goodbye service. Um, boo. <laughs> and um, I just, Andy asked me to intro Scott. And um, as I was thinking about him, just a couple of things came to mind. Um, one, the amazing ways that he's grown um, as just a man, um, believing the gospel more and more, and that changing who he is and how he lives out his life. Um, Scott is also a fellow introvert, <laughs> um, but he stepped into um, places and spaces with courage, um, just like he's about to do again. And I would just like to welcome him up and pray for him before he gets started. <coughs> Jesus, I thank you so much um, for all that you've done in Scott and what you're going to continue to do um, in the future. I thank you that this is just the beginning. This is just like the tip of the iceberg. Um, I thank you. Holy Spirit, that you are responsible for all of the work that you do in all of us. I pray that you would um, help him to have clarity as he speaks, that you would continue to give him the words to say, and that you would help our, our ears and our hearts to be receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. Whew. Um, thanks, Jackie. Well, this morning I'm here. Um, because Andy asked me to give a goodbye message. Um, and we've been here for 10 years. This is our last official Sunday, as Jackie said. And it's really difficult to say goodbye to this community. To this church. In preparing this message, um, I was forced to really reflect on the past 10 years and what God's done and how amazing this community is. And honestly, it's been the most significant probably decade of my life, of our lives. And if you're new here today, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's not like this every Sunday, I promise. Please come back. But if you are new, um, I hope you pull out a couple of things today. I hope you just see a little bit of how special this community is and how loving and gracious God is. And as most of you know, Maven, Wesley, Ash, and I are moving back to Rancho Cucamonga, where Ash and I grew up. This definitely isn't something we planned on doing. Um, we planned on being in San Diego for the foreseeable future. Um, we talk a ton here about mission, about planting churches, and to do that, you have to send people out. I, I didn't think that was going to be me. <laughs> I really didn't. And as we opened up to the members of this community about leaving, um, those conversations were really confirming the move and really confirming um, something that God had put on our hearts, and that was starting a house church in Ranch Cucamonga. Never in a million years would I ever think that I'd be saying those words, starting a house church, me leading it, ever. 
When I showed up here and I restored 10 years ago, that was the furthest thing from my mind. But Jesus has other plans, and those plans are extremely disruptive. (laughs) And the reason we're doing this is largely because of the work that God has done in and through us while we've been here. We've grown a ton, and a lot of that growth has come from the way you guys have all loved us and the way you've pointed us to Jesus. So today, I thought it'd be cool to share what we've experienced here. And I want to challenge you guys to continue to do the good work that you have been doing. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. We've experienced so much good at this church. And I want to share those experiences with you and, again, challenge you and encourage you to continue to do that good work. So this is what's going down. I'm going to walk you guys through a timeline and a journey that I've been on here at Restored. I've been here since the beginning, so get comfortable. Hold that coffee tight. It's going to take a little while. And what I want you to see is God's transforming work in my life. And again, how amazing and special this community is. Before I came to Restored, before Jesus saved me, I was someone who had placed my identity and worth in the things I did and how people and what and if people approved of me. I was a slave to others. I believe my acceptance would come from the way I performed. The way I performed as a husband, a friend. The list would go on and on. I put a lot of weight in that performance to the point where I go out and play pickup basketball games or rec league basketball games, and if I didn't play to my standards or we lost, it would eat at me. I'd have trouble sleeping. I'd wake up the next morning bitter and essentially ruin my whole week. And that's the wonderful guy that Ashley married 10 years ago. (laughs) When we were married, we weren't attending a church. We weren't followers of Jesus. We both would probably tell you that we believed in God, but we didn't know really what that was. We didn't really have a relationship with him. Shortly after we got married, we started looking for a church. Just thought it was the right thing to do. We were also becoming aware that something was missing. Our marriage, our careers weren't satisfying enough. So we went to a few churches and none of them really worked out. Then Ash connected with an old friend at a party back in our hometown, Nicole Dupre, now Nicole Pham. She shared that she's a part of a church plant team in San Diego, and a few weeks later, we hit her up, and she invited us to a pre-launch gathering. We walked in, and honestly, I was extremely uncomfortable. (laughs) I didn't know anybody. It was insanely dark, like, four or five times more than during worship here. It was, I think we were in a basement, honestly. The ceilings were really low. I'm 6'3". The ceilings had to be maybe 6'6". And I had nothing, I just felt like I had nothing in common with anybody there. So we took our seats in the back, and Andy went ahead, and he preached the worst sermon of his life. Those were Andy's words. (laughs) I honestly didn't think it was too bad. It wasn't confusing. 
wasn't terribly boring. That was kind of my criteria back in the day. <laughs> but the piece that really stuck with me is that during worship, Andy went back up and he apologized to the whole church. And he said that he let his pride get the best of him. He said Brad should have preached that day. That was his fourth sermon of the day. I've never seen that type of vulnerability from a preacher. I've always tried to imitate that person up there, thought that I should imitate that person, that that person wasn't a sinful person. That person never asked for forgiveness or admitted sin. And this is what led us to get connected to this community, hearing the gospel over and over each Sunday. Ash and I started going to a gospel community group before we were even followers of Jesus. And in that GC, we took turns sharing our story, essentially our whole lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I remember Ash and I debating when it was our turn. What do you want to share? <laughs> Are we doing everything? Should we keep this out? Should we hide this? We went for it. We shared everything. And it couldn't have been received any better. I remember Jeremy Zimmerman looking at us. I thought I got my tears out when I prepared. He looked at both of us and he said, thanks for sharing. Thanks for letting us in on your life. And I, wanna know, I want you to know that Jesus went to the cross for you. You don't have to share those guilts, that shame anymore. Do you guys know what it's like to share all your insecurities, your biggest sins, and have it received with love and acceptance? It's one of the most freeing feelings I've ever had. And it was shortly after that group, or kind of in the middle of that group, when Ashley had an intense conversion. She can share that about. She can share that if she wants. And I was pumped for Ash because I knew what she was experiencing was real. But it wasn't clicking for me yet. It took a couple of months of experiencing the gospel before I actually accepted Jesus in my life. It wasn't a specific moment. It was kind of a slow burn, contemplating the sermons each week, asking myself, is this true? Then I remember one Sunday driving home from gathering, thinking through the sermon I had just heard, saying to myself, I think this is real. I believe this. I believe that Jesus performed in my place. Because Jesus performed in my place, I'm fully loved and accepted. I don't have to stress about getting other people's acceptance. The creator of the universe accepts me. It was all hitting me at once. Looked over at Ash in the passenger seat, and I said, I think I'm a Christian. <laughs> she was pumped. But where do, where do we go from here? As followers of Jesus, we began to grow in our understanding of the gospel. And a big part of that growth was through this church, experiencing the gospel through this church. 
So right after we got saved, my sister Jamie hit me up. She said, I got an internship in San Diego. Can I move in with you? Of course. I was so excited to introduce her to this community. I knew that she would experience the same things we experienced. This church treated her like family. This community alongside Ash and I shared Jesus with her and she got saved. She's now on staff with Restored LA doing ministry alongside her husband, Stephen, who's an elder there. And they're not here today because a couple of weeks ago they gave birth to their first kid, Henry Brooke Johns. Give it up. So Jamie becomes a Christian, and we start a um, group with Andy called Story of God. And you can compare this to Alpha. I think we're more familiar with Alpha. But essentially it's a group for people who are curious about Jesus, for non-believers to ask questions, it's a safe place to kind of explore your faith. And even though I'm now following Jesus, this was a great group for me because I didn't have a ton of biblical knowledge. And the story of God really walked us through the Bible at a very high level. And I was able to get the overarching theme of the Bible, which is that us sinning and running away from God and God constantly pursuing us and ultimately pursuing us through Jesus and the cross. And at the end of each group, Andy would ask the same question. If this is true, what would this change in your life? Or how would this change your life? And the answer each time, in one way or another, was everything. It changes everything. Another amazing thing that happened in this group was that one of Ashley's best friends came to know Jesus as well, Chatelet. Then things got really wild. We learned that Ash was pregnant with our boy Wesley. Along with telling our family back home, we were so pumped to share with our church family. I remember sharing with Andy and Jackie and Tom and Eb outside of a Christmas party, letting them in on that news and seeing how like they're genuinely just joyful for us and excited for us. Wes was born and then six months after that, I had the privilege of traveling to South Africa with a group of people here from this church. And we visited Grant and Michelle's church, Harbor City. The same Grant and Michelle who are going to be with us, with you guys, in a few short months. It was an amazing experience for me. I was still a fairly new believer, and I found it crazy that I could go to the other side of the world, spend time with people I've never met before, in a completely different culture, and feel right at home. The only explanation for that was Jesus. It's the only thing I had in common with anybody there. The same Jesus that we worship here, they worship in South Africa and around the world. And I experienced this. The power of knowing God became even more real. I feel like that, that trip really strengthened my faith a ton. And coming back from that trip, I had this crazy idea and this crazy thought of starting my own business. I never desired that. Never desired starting anything of my own. 
never had that entrepreneurial spirit. But Jesus was changing me. He was giving me more confidence in myself and more security in him. He had different plans for my life, as you guys can already see. And it was around that time where Royce approached me and said, hey, I'm going to purchase a building for my company. There's a lot of extra room. Would you want to start a business in it? I said, I'm in. I don't know what that business is, but I'm in. <laughs> Most of you know that business was a co-work space called Hardyhood. And God was so present with me during that whole process. From making the decision to leave my job, taking a $40,000 pay cut, coming to this, confirming this, the decision through many prophetic words during a trip to Greece with Andy. That Jackie, I think, was supposed to go on. <laughs> to a divine encounter at a retreat and the insane generosity of Royce. Royce allowed me to work odd jobs for Waterfy, Airbnb, a few of his properties, so that I could provide for my family during that time. Roughly around that same time, you guys have probably heard time a few times now, we started attending a GC leadership group at the dinner's house. It's also known as Turbo Group. This is a group that John led. And it was, it was a group to prepare people to lead small gospel community groups, really equip leaders. I grew a ton in this group. Ashley and I both felt really loved and connected to the people in that group. I'll never forget the day that Ashley found out she was having a miscarriage. It was a day that we had Turbo Group. And we went. We brought our bad day. And we shared with the group. And they wept with us. They prayed for us. I remember John praying as he cried. Then outside that group, the extended church was there too. Sending us emails, giving Ash thoughtful gifts, encouraging us through prayer. Really thought I got it all out. As we experienced God's love through this church, we wanted to have a hand in other people experiencing that love as well. And we stepped into a leadership role. Ash and I, alongside Bianca, Bianca McCoo, started leading a gospel community group together. In all honesty, I didn't feel worthy or adequate of a leadership role. I didn't feel like I was fully ready. And looking back, I think this created a good posture for me, created a forced dependence on the spirit. I had to trust that God was going to do the work, not me. It wasn't going to be by my strength. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In that weakness and dependence on the Spirit, God did some amazing things. Multiple people in that group got baptized. We had people grow in their understanding of the gospel. It was a safe place for people to share vulnerably. We saw growth happen in that group. And the icing on the cake for all of it was that Ash and I had the privilege of officiating a wedding of a couple in that group, which was Nick and Alicia Graves. They're graciously serving in kids right now. And after leading that GC for a while, Andy approached me, I think a couple of times, and I turned him down to join a group, a men's group, that focused on leadership development. He approached me again, he gave me the hard pitch, and after a little nudge from my wife, I said yes. I was still really uncertain about this group, and that uncertainty grew after the first, after the first meeting. where Andy told us that we were all going to preach after this group. <laughs> I nearly walked out. I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> I, of course, didn't walk out. I stayed. I attended each meeting. It was something that I was eventually excited about. That group stretched me. I was really uncomfortable at times, especially at the end when I had to come up on Sunday, just like I'm uncomfortable right now, and preach. But it was also a time where I experienced the gospel through those men, through Steve Hopkins, through Stephen Land, through Adam Jones, through Andy. I felt closer to God than I ever had. Now fast forward to this past year, I'm feeling stressed, wrestling with this decision to leave San Diego, to leave this community. I started meeting with a spiritual director, a counselor, essentially to work through some of these difficult decisions that I had in front of me. And in those talks, he helped me discern some of my spiritual gifts, specifically the gift of leadership. And realizing this gift, it's given me the confidence to pursue this house church. It's given me a belief that God has called me to lead people to know and grow in Jesus' love and trust that he will sustain me and do the heavy lifting, just like he did in that first group when I felt completely inadequate. That growing confidence that I'm called to lead has led me to feel more and more drawn. And that lead, sorry, that growing confidence to lead and feeling more and more drawn to go back to our hometown led us to kind of pray intentionally through this. Initially, the small group thing or house church was something that Ash and I just thought maybe we'd do on our own. Then we went to the Restored Family of Churches retreat, and I began to pray through this transition in this small group. And when I did that, the term church plant would pop up in my mind, and I'd get really emotional, start to cry, just as you've seen already. <laughs> and it was because it was terrifying to me. It's not a natural role for me. But I would also feel in that time when I allowed myself to sit in those feelings, 
I feel close to God. Now, a couple weeks later, after a prayer and prophecy night, I spent a couple hours with Tom Logue, the pastor from Temecula, and Andy, and they pressed in on those feelings that I was having and encouraged me in them. Andy even confirmed those feelings with a prophetic word that he had heard and that was shared with him recently. So I spent the next couple of months with Andy, meeting with him weekly, preparing to move, preparing to lead a house church. As you can see, we've been through a lot and experienced a lot at this church. This community is amazing, it's special. It's a church where you can belong before you believe, a church that will come alongside you in your time of need, a church that wants you to grow and experience the gospel in deeper ways. And that's what I want to charge you guys with this morning. I want to focus on three things. Love and pursue others. Love generously. Encourage one another in the gospel. So let's look at that first point. Love and pursue others. And you guys are going into a season where you're going to focus on mission. And this can be intimidating, but mission is just loving and pursuing those who don't know Jesus. I'm not talking about picket signs. I'm not talking about mission trips. I'm talking about letting people into your everyday life. Sharing that you're a Christian. Letting them know what Jesus has done in your life. And sharing what Jesus has done for them. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism. You just have to love the non-Christians in your life. In fact, Jesus all calls us to this. We're going to take a quick look at a passage probably none of you have ever heard of before. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. In preparing this message and thinking about this house church, I found a lot of comfort in the back half of verse 20 right there where it says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're not doing this alone when we pursue people. Jesus is with us. His spirit is with us. And it's the spirit that's going to move and save souls. It's not all on us. If Jesus wanted to, he could do this all on his own. But he graciously gives us his spirit to do the work with him. Now, in a couple weeks, Andy's going to give you all a card to write down the names of three people to begin to pray for and pursue in hopes that God would eventually bring them into a relationship with Jesus. Now, when this church started 10 years ago, Andy and Brad asked the launch team to do the same exact thing. Nicole was a part of that launch team. And our names were on her card. Scott and Ashley. Maybe just Ashley. I don't know. <laughs> For no other reason than she knew we lived in San Diego. We had a previous connection in high school. And as you know, I ended up going to a gathering, hearing the infamous worst sermon of all time in a creepy basement, and it changed my life. <laughs> so along with pursuing others, Jesus also calls us 
to love as to live as a family and to love those around us which leads me to my second point love generously let's look at Jesus' teaching in John 13 we'll pick up in verse 34 he says I give you a new command love one another just as I have loved you you are also to love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another church you guys do this well I've experienced this church as a family you celebrated with us you've walked through life changes with us you prayed with us reminded us of the gospel and you've been with us in our time of need I know that many of you have welcomed each other into your homes given each other cars when a brother or sister needs it helped each other move provided resources to one another, just as a family does. Ash and I had the privilege of opening up our home a couple of times while part of this community. One to my sister, Jamie, which I've already talked about, and one time to a young woman named Samantha, who was a part of this church that has since moved. Both times we lost privacy, we had to deal with less space and all the other inconveniences that come with living with somebody. But church, we gained much more. We grew in our patience, in our love, in our generosity, in our faith when we lived alongside those sisters. Another time I recall experiencing this community as a family. It was about four years ago. Let me preface this. I love my daughter a ton. I love her a ton. But for the first five months of her life, she cried a lot and it was difficult it was something out of a horror movie and each day I would come home from work and my daughter and my wife would both be red faced Ashley from being completely exhausted and Maven from crying all day and you guys showed up you showed up with meals for months I remember Natalie Garcia coming over delivering a homemade meal with dessert Holding a newborn. I'll always remember she had a Pyrex of roasted goodness in this hand, and she had Gabe kind of in this hand, just humped over on the hip. Smile on her face rolling in as Gabe just spits up all over the place. (laughs) Multiple times. She did it with a smile. We felt so loved by her. I also remember coming home during that time to pregnant Abigail Hopkins in our living room, folding laundry and doing whatever she could to help us out. Even with Hardyhood, the business I started, Eric Laybourne stepping in, Bianca McCoo stepping in over and over when I I was away to look after the space. Even to get it built out, James Gutierrez helped me with branding, helped me build out the space. You guys had a hand in that. And I can go on and on with these stories about how I learned to live and love more like Jesus through observing this community. Being directly loved by this community and growing in intimacy with Jesus. But if I shared all those stories, we'd be here all day. And it's Selection Sunday, so we got to go home. So let's hit the last point. Encourage one another in the gospel. And here's why I wanted this to be the last point. We can't pursue people 
are loved generously without the power of the gospel. As Christians, we must encourage one another in the gospel. Let's start by taking a look at Romans 5, 6 through 8. After this past year, you guys should have Romans memorized. (laughs) For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God provides his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, knowing that the creator of the universe sent his son to live a perfect life for us, take on the penalty of sin, which is death, and then conquer death by raising for the dead and forgiving us of our sins, of our trespasses, and knowing that we did nothing to deserve that. It's a gift that's freely given to us. That's the best news we could possibly hear. And when we absorb this truth and we believe it, it changes everything. It changes the way we approach work, knowing that we can work hard and no matter what the outcome is, we're accepted and loved by God. It changes the way we approach marriage, our marriages and singleness, knowing that God has been loving and gracious with us, that we can extend that love and grace to others. It changes the way we parent, looking to God as the only perfect father, apologizing to our kids when we make mistakes and pointing them to him. It's the gospel that has completely changed the trajectory of my life. Going off to start this house church, I never anticipated doing, but it also feels like one of the most meaningful things I'm going to do. So to help me close this out, I'm going to invite my wife, Ashley, up. Give it up. She's going to share a little bit of how this community and the gospel has impacted her. Hi, guys. Um, So just thinking through and reflecting on our time here, it's really hard to sort of narrow down what God's done in our lives and just how this community has been a part of that. Um, I know, but we used to have <laughs> we used to have a really good thing. I was the crier and he wasn't. Now when he cries, it's just not good. Um, so I was asking God, since I don't have time to do a whole timeline like him, uh, just to highlight a few things. <laughs> And he's like, just share what God's done. I'm like, that's the whole sermon. So I'm not giving a second sermon. Um, but I really did just sit with God and ask him, what do you want to highlight? What are what are some things that I could share um, that could kind of, I don't know, summarize what, what we've experienced here um, with Jesus and with you guys? And I thought of this um, recent experience I had where a friend of mine who's actually part of Restored LA, but we're in this online kind of gospel counseling cohort where we kind of learn how to counsel people with the gospel. And I was sharing actually about the move and just how we were processing it and different things that we were excited about and things that were hard and kind of how we were trying to seek God through this whole big decision of whether or not to, you know, stay here or move to Rancho. And um, what he said to me after I shared, he said, Ashley, you're one of the most integrated people I know. And um, that's like a psych term or a counseling term for just someone that's able to hold 
the different parts of themselves, like the, the not-so-great parts, the parts that are still need transformation and healing and need to be redeemed, and then the really beautiful parts that um, you want to show people, um, kind of hold those in harmony and live integrated, live accepting all those pieces of yourself. And I thought about that. I, I didn't respond right away and um, just said thank you and um, thought about that later. And that really um, is just a huge that kind of summarizes a lot of what Jesus has done in my life. I, before knowing Jesus, and he shared we got saved in our mid-20s, so from the ages of 15 to 25, I was living very far from God, made a lot of decisions that I regret, had a lot of experiences that I wish I could unwrite out of my story. Um, but the gospel, knowing God's love, knowing um, his forgiveness, receiving his forgiveness, experiencing just a relationship with him, and um, just being redeemed, being transformed slowly, slowly. My family's here. They know how slowly. Um, <laughs> just has allowed me to integrate all those parts of my story and because I know my truest identity is in Jesus. And the truest thing about me is... <laughs> you don't have to be that far. <laughs> um, <laughs> he asked me if I wanted him far or close. I said, not too close, but not too far. Um... <laughs> Um, but just being a child of God, knowing God, receiving his love, being a part of his family, as you guys have, like, allowed us to taste and experience here, um, allows me to look at those parts to seek God's, you know, um, healing and transformation in the areas that I still need to grow. Um, but anyway, so that was just a compliment that I received from this person that kind of helped me think through the last 10 years, and that truly is, like, being able to walk as a whole person because of Jesus and not hide or dismiss or present, you know, hope to forget certain aspects of who I am um, or who I was or, you know, what I've experienced. Um, and then James and Faye, I don't know, I feel like the first song, you kind of summarized my whole talk. So the other piece is just freedom, like, in Jesus. Before knowing Jesus, I thought of, you know, Christians or, fault, like, religious people as, um, I'll get to that when I'm ready to kind of, you know, put down these other things that I know God probably wouldn't approve of or not, you know, kind of boring. And truly, I've experienced so much freedom in Jesus and a much richer, more joyful, adventurous life because of him. Um, the things that I have had to put down have only opened up more freedom in my life and um, more beauty. Um. So, yeah, that's basically it just that I wanted to share. There's so many details, so many big ways you guys have loved us, so many subtle ways um, that a lot, you know, go goes unnoticed in the way that this community loves one another. So just thank you guys for loving us so well. <laughs> um, thank you, Jackie and Andy, for planting the church and all the sacrifices that came with that. Um, you guys have radically changed our lives. Um, just even um, where we're at with just how we view everyday things, parenting, our marriage, and like Scotty said, and our careers, and how we integrate our faith into those things. Um, it's changed everything about our lives. So we love you guys. Thank you so much. But in closing, um, I want to leave you guys with this. Find joy in Jesus. 
experience his love. When you do that, you'll go out pursuing others on mission, telling everyone about this Savior of yours who's changing your life. When you feel this love and you experience it, you'll want to tell, you'll, you'll want to love others generously the way you've felt loved. This creates that family dynamic we talked about in the church. And when you experience the truth of the gospel, you develop a level of faith that you didn't know you could have, causing you to reorient your life in ways to serve Jesus. And lastly, Ash said it, thank you guys for the past 10 years. Um, this has been an amazing church family, an amazing time here. Um, we're going to miss you all, like, tremendously. Um, we'll probably visit too much, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but love you guys. That's all I got. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've got to worship. All right. Um, all right. Gra uh, grab a seat. Uh, I know uh, it's going to be a little bit longer. We have about 15 more minutes. Um, uh, we're about to uh, commission uh, Ashley and Scott into the work of kind of domestic missionary work to church planning work uh, up in Ranch Cucamonga. And uh, before we do that, I just want to explain what that is and, and, and kind of what, um, what we believe about that and, and, and leadership and stuff like that. And I kind of want to come at this from uh, kind of four areas, uh, character, competency, calling, and commissioning. Character, competency, calling, and commissioning. Uh, so first one is this idea of character. Um, one of the things that Scott has said a lot over the years is I'm not the kind of guy that wants to stand on a stage and just talk at people. And I said, great, because that's not what leadership is. Um, the church in the West has taken on a very worldly definition of leadership. Uh, the New Testament never says the church is a business or should function like one. It says it's a family. That's the, the dominant metaphor in the New Testament for the church. But the church in the West has, has, has kind of taken on uh, business stuff. And so um, leaders are kind of CEOs. Uh, pastors, uh, they're CEOs who cast a vision for a nonprofit business and do kind of whatever it takes to get there. Now, you know what the problem with that is? Um, Harvey Weinstein was a very effective executive leader. Uh, there's some terrible people who are very effective executive leaders who do whatever it takes to make their thing succeed. It says nothing to them about who Jesus is. And they can grow a church pretty fast, too, with a lot of similar principles. It's kind of baptize them with the Bible. Um, or leaders uh, are, are viewed as public speakers who can captivate an audience and just use the Bible. And, you know, the problem with that is Hitler was a very great public speaker. He got a crowd going. He got some stuff moving. Effect, effective executive. Again, it tells you nothing about someone's character uh, that they're good up front. Again, a stand-up comedian. Uh, I love stand-up comedy. It's probably one of my favorite art forms. Uh, it says nothing about their character, okay? Um, and, and so we go on and on and on. Um, uh, and so what we keep doing in the West is we roll out a job description for leadership um, that attracts narcissists. Because we go, hey, do you want to talk and everyone listen to you? Do you want to lead a big thing and be an important person? There are churches that have VIP sections at church and green rooms and riders and all this stuff. Um, but leadership biblically is about service and responsibility, not power or prominence. 
There is authority that, that is inherent in leadership, but the authority exists for the good of those who are experiencing that leadership, not for the leader themselves. Again, if church is a family, the best analogy I have is parenting, okay? Um, you're a bad parent if your goal in parenting is that everyone just listens to you and does whatever you say, okay? Parenting's about uh, my authority exists to keep you safe because you make dumb decisions when you're little. You want to drink things, eat things you shouldn't, run in the street, all that stuff. My authority exists that you might become who God's called you to be. It's a space of safety and encouragement and discipline, but, but it always is for their good. We don't believe in punishment as Christian parents. We believe in discipline that's for their good to prepare them for their future, not to um, pay them back for the bad thing they did. It's to, to teach them. And so church leadership is really spiritual parenting. It's not spiritual CEO, uh, Elon Musk, church edition. Um, in First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul describes his ministry uh, to the Thessalonians. And in the words of a uh, mentor of mine, Chris Venon, the clock's not my friend, so I'm not going to read the whole passage. But I want to jump down. First Thessalonians 2, read it. I would encourage you to read it in your own time. Uh, uh, judge uh, church leaders uh, according to this is one of the texts to do that with. Uh, there's another one I'll talk about in a second. But First Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12, he's describing his ministry uh, to the Thessalonians. He's trying to say, my motive for ministry to you is pure. I'm not leading to get something out of you. I'm here to build you up. Um, and he gets to the heart of that down in verse, verse 7. First Thessalonians 2, 7 says, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures, nurtures her own children. Does that sound like CEO, rock star, Silicon Valley leadership? Anybody? No. You've never heard that talk at the Apple keynote, right? Like we're, I won't get into that. The breastfeeding thing gets, gets a little wild. This kid gets it. And he says in verse 8, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It's this vulnerable role. I'm sharing my life with you. You do that with parenting. They see the good, the bad, and the ugly. There are times my kids have said words, and I'm like, man, where did they learn this? Must have been Jackie. <laughs> Maybe... Maybe a bad babysitter, let them watch a movie they shouldn't have watched. And I'm like, oh, I kind of say that every once in a while when this type of thing happens to me. Verse 11 says, as you knew like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into God's own kingdom and glory. Spiritual parenting is vulnerable. It's gentle. It's sacrificial. Any of you ladies that have been up late nursing, not sleeping, you know that that's true. That's pastoral ministry. That's leadership in God's kingdom. My leadership exists that you'll flourish. I'm, I'm dying that you might live. I'm losing energy that you might gain energy, all that stuff. And, I, and again, I'm, I, again, I'm challenging you, but it's for your own good. One of our, um, one of our children has an anxiety disorder. And so you guys know that. He actually, there's a newspaper article about it. He, he shared uh, about it before, and, um, and one of the hardest parts about that anxiety disorder is the anxiety disorder tells him the way his brain works is, is he goes into fight or flight when he doesn't need to. So he's terrified, and he doesn't need to be terrified. And the way that you treat that, it's this thing called, called ERP, uh, Exposure Response Prevention, and what you do is you expose them to the thing they're afraid of long enough for them to realize that they're safe and they're okay. 
But the gap between when they feel really afraid and when they realize they're not in danger is really hard to sit through as a parent. Because it's as if a tiger were to walk in right now. That's how afraid they feel, right? Your your amygdala's kicking. Imagine if a tiger, and I go, guys, it's just a tiger. If you don't move, they, they love the word, man. They love preaching. <laughs> just here, you know, get it, you know, they like music, that you'll be fine. You're like, no, uh, uh, you know. And probably some people would run out, probably maybe you'd even get mad at me. You know, I don't know, you'd, you'd freak out. That happens. And so what I have to do is, is, is that I have to sit with him and, and and, um, and ride the wave of the anxiety and the fear and go, I know this feels true, but it isn't. I want to remind you of what is true. And pastoring people, that's what it is. It's like this lie I've had my whole life that I'm worthless or dirty or stupid or I need to prove myself to people. Whatever it is, it feels so real. And I have to go, I get that, but Jesus has a better word. And, and you slowly, slowly reinforce that over time. But just like with my son, you see growth. And you see freedom. Guys, that takes time and sacrifice and empathy and all the things that terrible leaders don't have. And they're all the things that Scott and Ashley do have. And so um, church leadership, is, it's about character and how we treat people. It starts with the relationship to God through Jesus. But then has that relationship impacted your relationships? Um, and, and so in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we don't have time to go through it, but Paul gives um, 14 qualifications to be a leader in the local church. Some people think there's 13 qualifications, some think there's 14. Either way, 12 of them are about character, who you are. Leadership is about example and invitation, not control and command. I'm living this way, I want to invite you to follow me as I follow Jesus. Um, only one of the qualifications has anything to do with ability, able to teach, able to teach. And that doesn't mean you're able to like preach at a conference with a face mic and go crazy. It could mean that. But, but again, the churches were house churches back then. They were small primarily. They would gather together, house churches in a region. Um, but again, we keep thinking we need like a stand-up comedian or a TED Talk champion or an Apple keynote, whatever it is. And, and really we, we need good spiritual parents that can communicate truth to the people they're discipling lovingly and patiently. And so often Bible colleges and seminaries, they spend three years. They're not bad. They're important, but they spend three years teaching how to teach primarily. And so where people are discipled is the church. The character happens in community over time because you can see people's character over time. It's observable, and, and you build trust over time. Um, one of the things uh, the scripture talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we talk about this a lot when we plant churches, is um, one of the biggest mistakes leaders make in church plants is they appoint leaders too quickly. Uh, and the reason for that is you don't know the character of the people yet, right? Um, and so often in the church, what we do is we treat it like a business. We put, our, we put out a, an ask on a church staffing website and go, does anyone want to come and disciple people and walk them through vulnerable brokenness? And then we wonder why we have all these terrible situations with, with terrible leaders and abuse and all these things um, where people weren't really vetted. Like, like, I don't just let anyone watch my children. I don't put an ad on Craigslist. Who wants to babysit? Spiritual leadership uh, requires, man, I, we want to know someone's character. I don't care how skilled you are, if you went to Bible college or whatever. I always go, hey, I want to get to know you. 
Um, and so Paul warns against this too. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22 to 25, he says, Do not be hasty. Don't do this too quickly. Don't, uh, don't, be t- don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. And what Paul is saying is it takes time to assess someone's character. You need to observe their life over time, their relationships, their tendencies, their repentance, their love for the church, or their desire for power. Some people are obviously unqualified straight away. Their sins are conspicuous, right? They come right in, uh, right? They, they come in, you know, whatever, drunk to gathering, trying to get into a fight. You're like, all right, I think let's just take some time. Leadership might not be it. We love you, but it's not time to do that. Someone who has a, a clearly, a marriage that's clearly struggling, they have an addiction, they have an anger issue, it's really clear, uh, right? That happens. And we go, hey, right, leadership's not right now. It's not never, but let God do some work in your life. On the other hand, Paul is saying that there are people who look shiny and handsome and beautiful. They look churchy. They have the right answers. They come to stuff. But over time, you see that it's a facade. Over time, they prove to be divisive. They seem to always be around gossiping and complaining. Over time, you realize they never get around to setting up their giving. So I'll pay out any, any day now. Any day now. Over time, they prove to be impure, partaking in low-key sexual relationships or inappropriate relationships in the church. And Paul's saying people can present in a shiny way, but given enough time, their sin will be exposed. Their lives will betray, will betray them. It won't remain hidden. On the other hand, others seem unimpressive initially. They just, they're just kind of kind. They're consistent. They're not good talkers up front. They're not CEOs tomorrow. But they've got a boatload of discipleship and generosity and purity and peacemaking you don't even know about. I found out recently a friend of mine in this church is having his rent subsidized by another member of this church to the tune of $1,000 a month to help their family through this season. He doesn't know who it is, and I don't know who it is. That's a, I have, I have an idea, but I'm not sure. But it's a conspicuous good work. You, you, there's other people you look at, you go, oh my gosh, they, they make peace all the time with people. They, they settle down conflict. They don't ramp it up. I, I didn't even know about it. I didn't know how generous they were. I didn't know how many times they had a chance to do something that lacked integrity, and they didn't. And so Paul's saying you'd rather find the ugly stuff out before you make someone elder, pastor, not after. Because finding out the ugly stuff after is what leads to so much carnage in the church. We constantly appoint leaders too quickly in the West because we're impressed with, like, pizzazz, a word I've never used before. <laughs> like, they're flashy, they're cool, they're smart, whatever, and they're wolves. And so Paul was telling Timothy, don't do this too quickly uh, just to be held accountable. By the way, Paul is an anti-accountability, uh, but Timothy's accountability came from his relationship with Paul, an apostolic leader, early on in the life of the churches in Ephesus before he had enough time to assess the character of those who desire to be leaders, which is why Paul writes First and Second Timothy to coach and challenge Timothy on how to lead. And so we need time to assess those who desire to become leaders in the church. Um, the couple that was just up here, they're not perfect, but as the leaders of this church, we believe they have demonstrated the character necessary for church leadership and domestic missionary slash church planning work in Rancho Cucamonga. We've known them for 10 years. Uh, I know more about their marriage than I want to. I've been around both of them for a long time. Uh, Royce, as we mentioned earlier, he's done business with Scott and observed him in business and seen, you know, the numbers and how he treats people for years 
and it's good. I've watched them parent over and over and over again. Again, spiritual parenting. Paul says, if you can't lead your own family, don't try to be a church leader. I don't care what you do at work. How's your family? Um, that's, it's good. Uh, I've, tra- I've traveled with both of them separately. And, uh, and again, I've gotten in more conflicts, especially with Ashley, than I, I wanted to. I work, because she's on staff with me, right? We, 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 it, it's not that she's bad or I'm bad. We're both bad. We're sinful. But like, it's just our proximity as siblings who are on a you know, staff together, you know? And so there's that reality. And I've, we've done it well. And I've seen them do conflict with other people in this church. And they've done it well over time enough that I could say, yeah, I could see them being an example in a local church. They're not perfect, but if you live like them, you will become like Jesus. Second thing is uh, competency. Again, th- these next two are going to be really quick. Everyone relax. It is an important Sunday, though. It is. I'm sorry. It's, it's a unique Sunday. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul says that there's these, uh, you know, these leaders in the church, apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, these different types of leaders, and they exist to equip the church. They help the church become all it can be. Again, their leadership and gifting exists for the benefit of the church. They don't use the church to become a big deal, they lay their lives down to lift up the church, that Jesus might be a big deal. And I believe as we have assessed and walked alongside them for years, um, Ashley absolutely is an evangelist. We have multiple people here who met Jesus through her life uh, and her just talking about what Jesus did in her life. And it's not flashing. We have multiple people in other churches where that's happens. Oftentimes with missionaries who want to move abroad, you will ask, hey, have you, have you ever led anyone to Jesus in America? No. Okay, this might not be the thing for you. Not in a harsh way, it's just like, if you don't, if that's not happening here, uh, you might want to, to work at that. Then to cross culture where it's even harder. I also believe that, that Scott Stroman has the gift of shepherding, of pastoral ministry. Uh, that he's got a gift to care for people and stable. I, we had a prophetic word uh, probably two years into the church. And I just remember, um, I had a prophetic word. It wasn't delivered. It ex- I just remember clear as day um, that Scott was a pillar in our community and he didn't know it. That he would bring stability in a way that he didn't even realize he could. And as he's gained confidence, that's been true over and over and over again. They've had some, some, some tough issues in their groups over the years because life's messy. If you lead people, hard things happen, and they've done a tremendous job um, with those people. All right? So, so again, there's this competency piece. There's this gift recognition. Um, uh, Ashley's a counselor. I, I see a ton of shepherding stuff, too. We can go on and on and on. But, but basically, that leads us to a space where you go, due to the character and the commissioning, uh, sorry, due to the character and the competency, that's led to a calling, commissioning conversation. And again, we've been working through this idea of calling. We've been praying and, you know, meeting with spiritual directors, uh, me meeting with spiritual directors, uh, bringing other people in to pray through this with us, uh, prophetic words from people in other cities and sp- spaces. Um, and then uh, as my friend Rob Hutton, a guy who leads a church in Dubai, when the Holy Spirit isn't the clearest, use common sense. And we've done all of that, and it seems like absolutely this is the right thing. So we want to commission them into this work of church planning and this work of domestic missionary work. And so if you guys have Bibles, uh, in Acts chapter 13, it describes the sending of the first kind of team out. Acts chapter 13, do we have that? It says, now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. It lists a bunch of people's names. And it says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The fasting and the prayings happened before today. This isn't in this moment. It's, it's been in this season. But the laying on of hands and praying is what we want to do right now in this moment in the pattern of the New Testament church. And so what I want to do right now is call Scott and Ashley Stroman up here. 
and probably you guys should get like pretty centered, I'm guessing. Clo you know, close, but not too close, that kind of thing. And I want to call up uh, uh, t the, two other <laughs> the two other pastors of our church, uh, Adam and Royce. I also want to call up um, uh, Nicole and Bianca McCoo. And we're going to take a moment to pray um, be brief prayers and prophecies over this couple. Would you guys join us as we do that, as we commission them for this work? And so I'm going to kick us off. Um, Nicole, can you close us? We can kind of pass it around as, as we go. Um, would you guys lay hands on them? Father, I thank you for the humility of Scott. I'm so grateful for a man who keeps going. I don't think I'm a leader. Like, I have a leadership gift, and I love people, but I don't want to be the center of attention. I feel like that is just something heaven applauds. That's the right kind. The, the person who doesn't want power is the person I want with power. The person who's concerned about hurting others is the person who should be in the space of vulnerability with people. And Scott, I want to pray over you this morning as I was praying for you. I just thought about the storyline. One of the things about you is you have a reluctancy. You're not a coward. You're pressing into it, but it's, it's there. You're not sure. And, I, and the story of the scriptures, the storyline of the scriptures is, is a storyline of reluctant leaders that God uses. Who, I, I know you referenced Paul. who said in his, in, in, in his weakness was God's strength, but that's the storyline that starts in the Old Testament. We see it with Moses, a man who commits murder, but for some reason thinks his speech impediment's the problem. That's why he can't lead the people of Israel. And God says, I'll give you words. And then I think about this guy Gideon, one of the judges, and how an angel shows up and calls him to fight on behalf of the people, to lead the people. He's hiding in a wine press. He's, he's afraid. He's not a military general. He is a man of terrified of other people. He's not ready. He's not fit to lead anyone. And God says, I want you to lead the people and he argues with an angel, essentially, and asks for confirmation that this is God. And God uses him against all odds to deliver the people. I think of Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when God calls him. And, and, and Isaiah, he has this vision, and he's just so aware of the holiness, the righteousness, the beauty, the purity, the power, the glory of God. And he says, in that moment, when I am next to you, the juxtaposition of me as a sinful person next to a holy God, I've got no business being a prophet. And then God says, I've atoned for your sins. You're right, you're too sinful, but I've forgiven you and I've cleansed you. And then I think about Jeremiah and Jeremiah, he says, you know, I'm only a youth. God calls him to build, uh, to destroy, to, 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 to speak to whole nations, to prophesy, to write scripture. And Jeremiah's account, he just says, I'm only a youth. I'm too young. I haven't, I haven't followed you long enough yet. And God goes, no, don't just say, you're a youth. You know, I will go with you wherever you go. And, 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 and we can go on and on and on throughout Scripture. Peter denies Jesus three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. He assumes he's blown it. He's betrayed his friends for all intents and purposes. Not sticking up for him. And he made all these big commitments. And he let him down. And he, and, and he knows he let him down. You can imagine him struggling to make eye contact after the resurrection. And on that beach... It's kind of breakfast fish tacos or whatever that Peter, they take a walk. He says, hey, let's step away from the fire and the fish and the bread and let's take a walk. And he says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He restores him in the same way that he denied him. 
and says, feed my sheep. And then we get to Paul, and Paul is this man who hates the gospel and hates Jesus, and he's zealous, but for the wrong thing. He's throwing Christians in jail and having them put to death, and all that's happening. And then Jesus knocks him off his horse, and he humbles him, and he takes a man full of pride that shouldn't be leading. And then Paul ends up writing things like, the reason God saved me is to prove that he could save anyone so that no one would have an excuse. And so, Lord, I just pray that Scott would be a man in a long line of healthy, reluctant leaders, not grasping for power, not in love with their own gifting, not sure of their own self-appointed, narcissistic calling, but a humility that goes, man, without Jesus, I can't do this, but I really want to bless and help people like I've been blessed and helped. Would you strengthen this man, would you let him know he's in a long line of reluctancy, but would he be in a long line of redemptive work through reluctant people? Yeah, God, I just, um, I lift up this couple, um, Scott and Ash. I just thank you for um, the characteristics that I feel like come to mind uh, through Trey and I, like our relationship with them of humility, integrity, um, genuineness and and vulnerability um, and God I just pray that as they um, start this church this house church um, that they would model that vulnerability to um, the people their family their friends that are going to attend that that they're reminded that the vulnerability they can model really creates a space for um, like a safe space for others to share to be known um, in the way that like Scotty shared earlier with Jeremy how like beautiful that is to be known. Um, God, I just pray and just thinking about um, how Scotty shared about the last 10 years. I just pray um, over them as, uh, yeah, they look back like 10 years from now and see what the things that you're going to do through them. And that would be one day they'll be able to pray and, and commission someone else out to, to start a church. Um, so we just pray like expected of like that you can do beautiful things. You have done beautiful things through this couple and you'll continue to do those things, God. And, um, and lastly, I just pray as they, um, as they go out that they would um, yeah, like care for others and continue to care for their children well. They continue to disciple um, their two children and lead them to you, God. Um, and we just pray that you watch over their hearts, that they would um, yeah, continue to press into you. Uh, yeah, we love this couple so much, God. Lift them up to you. I'm going to read the, this passage over you guys. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you have done. Jesus, I just thank you so much for extending your invitation of salvation to this couple I thank you that um, that invitation you extend to all of us. And I thank you that they have responded. Um, 
I thank you that you are writing their story. I thank you that um, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change, and that you definitely go before them. And I do pray that they would continue to know that your nearness is their good, and that they would, um, rather than run to man or to themselves or to each other, um, as the, co the core sense of strength, that they would run to you, that they would know that your nearness is their good, Father. And I just pray that you would continue to grow their dependence on you, uh, continue to, um, yeah, just continue to just create fruit in their lives through this dependence and that um, your presence would continue to go with them, Lord. Um, I pray for joy. I pray for uh, peace, Lord, and I pray for your protection over them, Lord. Amen. Um, Father, so grateful that you brought this couple to our church. Um, I'm grateful that they were attracted to Andy's worst sermon and just what <laughs> um, a beautiful um, uh, heart they have for the gospel, Lord. I um, just want to share a kind of picture I had of you guys that you're going to be like you're starting like an embassy um, where you're where you're going. Um, it's the embassy of the kingdom. Um, of in, a, in a sense, like the perfect country in a very dark place. Um, but it's not like an embassy where um, you're kind of hiding out and it's like an, an unsafe uh, space and like just guards everywhere. Um, it's like a welcoming uh, embassy and it's a growing one. It's like expanding and people are excited that it's there. And there's people going out um, from there to take care of the poor and the needy and people that are um, oppressed, and that just brings um, like joy and, and light to a dark place. And, um, and Father, we're, we're grateful um, for you sending them as ambassadors, and um, I pray that you would prepare the way before them in the same way you sent John the Baptist, that you'd have um, Scott and Ashley's there lined up to, to hear um, maybe Scott making a mistake and to be <laughs> excited um, just out of his humility. God, <laughs> lots of mistakes for Scott, that's what I pray for. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, we're so grateful for these guys. Yeah, Father, in closing, um, we just thank you so much for um, this brother and this sister and what they've meant um, in each of our lives and in um, just these foundational years of, of our church family, what they've met in this city. And we just pray um, blessing um, on them. <coughs> I so clearly feel like um, you reminded me of um, a scene in the Gospels in Mark 5 where Jesus heals um, the demon-possessed man and he's um, like begging Jesus to, to let him stay with him. Um, and Jesus did not let him but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Um, and that's what we um, we see you doing, God, um, with them in this season and where you're leading them, God. And I just pray for so much uh, joy um, as you lead them in this, as, um, yeah, they step out in this way, God, would they just be so... Um, consistently reminded of all that you've done and just the privilege that they get to proclaim 
what you've done um, in their hometown and um, to the people around them and that um, you're still with them in that and thank you for your spirit, God, that is in them um, and that goes with them and that goes before them and um, just the mercy that you have had um, on them, God, and um, in rewriting their story and um, also just um, feel like you want to remind them of, of your promise that you promise to complete the work that you've started in them, God, and um, whenever there are moments of just fear of like leaving this nest in a sense and leaving this spiritual home and leaving this um, this place and this people that they've belonged to, that they will continue to belong to, but in a different way that, um, yeah, it's you, God, that has started this work in them and cultivated this work in them and that will continue this work in them and that um, more and more and more people are going to get to like look, peek inside um, to that as they continue living their lives um, with you and for you and by you, God. And um, yeah, we thank you. We praise you, Jesus, for what you've done in their lives and um yeah we love them we'll miss them and we are also just so expectant and excited to see what you're going to continue to do um, in them and through them jesus and in um, rancho cucamonga so we love you jesus in your name we pray amen, amen. Um, restored Uptown and really the Restored Family of Churches. I present to you for the, for the very first time your newest missionary couple, Ashley and Scott Stroman. You guys stand. Just keep clapping, keep clapping, keep clapping, keep clapping. A round of applause. You guys walk out. Just walk, just walk out the middle. Walk out the middle. Keep clapping for these guys. Keep clapping. I'm serious. Keep clapping for these guys. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Almost done. Almost done. Um, what just happens a big deal. Uh, I also want to say the kids probably are having a mutiny. So please go get your kids. Uh, again, a longer gathering than normal. It's not only this long, but it's an important day. We love you. Uh, please say goodbye to them. Give them a hug. Say what's up. And we will see you next week. All right. Love you, family.